Welcome to Pink Noise. I am your host, Very Sherry. Today is my 26th show. And that means happy half year anniversary. For six months, I've produced a new hour long program every week for Cindy Ann's Sunday morning series on Cafe Racer Radio. And over that time, I've learned so damn much. You know, without feedback, I could have believed I was doing this just for me, to inspire and stretch myself with all of the knowledge from my guests. But much to my surprise, the same has been true for some of you. And I want you to know, I am so honored by your time and attention. And I love hearing from you about the impact that my guests have had on your life. And this week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Amy McBride. She's an artist, a magician, she's a healer, but most importantly, because it's not every day you hear this, she's a witch. And we're going to dive right into her telling me about that practice. So when we started the call today, you told me that you'd been out on a witch walk, a witchy walk. It's a witch walk. I'm a witch and it's a walk. (laughs) So that's what I do. But yeah, it is a witchy witch walk. What happens on a witchy walk? All kinds of wonderful things. I go outside, which is key because it involves nature and the earth. And I listen to music and I... um, just wander the streets and hug trees and dance with them. And I pick things up along the way, like a little kid, like little sticks and rocks and things that that delight me. And then I play with them as I go along and I'll make little altars to the trees or just little, whatever floats my boat. Because I I realized early on in the pandemic um, when I couldn't go to my studios to do my yoga or my breath work or the whatever it is we do behind closed doors, our aerobics class and whatnot, um, that I still needed to do those things and that I had to feel better because I was working from home, I still am. And I'd get out of my house and like get rid of this energy that was stuck on me that felt icky, you know, whatever stress of the day. And um, I realized I had to do it no matter what. And I was gonna do it outside because I don't have the community centers or the yoga studios to do it in anymore. Um, I call it practicing in public. And I just decided that feeling good is more important for me than the conditioning of the, oh, what are people going to think about me piece? So it's also a deconditioning practice. Here I am dancing like a lunatic out in public, but it feels better because my, you know, that pain in the back of my scapula is getting loose and boy, my hips are feeling better and oh, my energy's better. You know, that's a better choice than People think I'm weird space. So it's all very complicated, but really what it just is, is a wonderful way to uh, engage in the world. Yes. It sounds like you had to reframe your mindset around that, around whether or not people thought you looked weird and that you had to decide that that mattered less than you feeling liberated and connected to yourself exactly you nailed it for sure yeah and and what was that process like for you well it's an ongoing process um well like you said I had I I actively recognized what was happening and actively chose you know one of my long-standing beliefs for about three years when it came to me is like feeling good is good for you So anything that makes us feel good, I'm not talking, although it it doesn't preclude this, but I'm not talking escapist hedonist feeling good. I'm talking about the grounded, ah, you know, and we just feel good, right? And I I was pondering that because we do so many like, oh, you got to eat this or don't eat that or this, you know, all these rules we put on ourselves in order to supposedly be healthy, that it's a bad vibration, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel good to like worry about that stuff, right? It's counterintuitive. So all that to say, you know, if I, as I was, yeah, I mean, I go outside dancing, even hugging trees, dancing with the trees. It's, it's odd. It's, it appears as odd behavior because it's not common, right? 
but people run. We're used to people running. They move their bodies one way in the street. They, you know, do all kinds of things. So, um, but yeah, and it made me very aware of how much conditioning I am subject to by how much I had to push through that. And, and I have a teenage son who's like, mom, you know, you're out there showing off. And I'm like, it is the absolute opposite. I know that I'm not showing off because I don't want to be. It's not like I like I gotta be seen. I'm gonna go outside and dance with the trees. It's like I'm dancing with the trees and I gotta do this. So I hope all is well. You know, it's not a, it's not a, you know, dying to be seen performance thing. It's very opposite. It's very personal practice, but it's in public. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I think what I'm getting about you, Amy, is that you're putting your own need to connect with yourself and celebrate. And I get this sense of liberation that you're wanting to embrace more of. And I think it's important, this thing you call deconditioning, that we care less what other people think. And I know I, I reference Don Miguel Ruiz's Four Agreements a lot. I mean, it's been on my bookshelf for decades. And this whole idea of, you know, what other people think about you doesn't matter. And yet, every piece of my conditioning tells me that what people think about me matters. Because of how I was indoctrinated. Because of the lessons that I got as a child and in school and in college and my young adult life. I mean, heck, even, you know, yesterday, right? Like it, it sort of never stops this idea about um, fearing judgment. And I, I think this is some of the, the biggest work that we have to do when we decide to put ourselves first. I think it's one of the hardest pieces to not care about. And for me with the, like, I, I can use the word witch pretty easily now, but I've been working on it for years of my own deconditioning around that. And I didn't even realize I was one until I saw, uh, in the modern witch movement with women like Lisa Lister and Amanda Yates Garcia and Adrienne Marie Brown, who are showing up in this space. It's, it's the, it's a modern social justice feminist movement. It's where I get my best wisdom of how to, to be an, a human and particularly a, a, you know, show up in the divine feminine. And, you know, cause it's, it's why, why am I afraid of that word because of years of oppression and literally being burned at the stake and things like that. And for me to think like, oh, gee, would a, <laughs> would an intelligent, curious woman like me be subject to being burned at the stake? <laughs> and I, yes, like, who am I fooling? So like, okay you know so it's not it wasn't for me it wasn't like oh i'm wiccan or i'm gonna study how to do this thing it was more of a oh my goodness oh that's oh that's what i am that's my lineage that's my that's why i'm a healer that's how i'm a healer that's how i'm connected to the earth you know it was very it's kind of this profound <laughs> realization of my being you know as a creative person and really it's you know what what the pandemic and this work has brought me back to is my creative force at the core of it all it's 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 our creative force that's what our magic is and that's where my you know my my motto is liberate magic so it is a liberation movement it is a liberation of my own magic oh there it was hiding in there this shy little child stuck in the corner of my back behind my spleen somewhere where it fragmented off in my energy you know? I think about it on these energetic levels. I don't know. And it's all a whole lot more fun. You know, it's like, why wouldn't I invite in adventure and, and curiosity and creativity in my life over dour anxiety and worry that I spent a big chunk of my life in, you know, like I know what the alternative feels like and it's not, you know, I'm intimately familiar with that. I don't want to live my life like, that way anymore. So you mentioned three words you were saying, it's so much better to be something about playful or creative or curious than be 
anxious and oppressed and do you remember what three words you used? Is that is that common language for you, or were you just riffing in the moment? Oh, I common. I, I language is so important, and I think very often about what, like the recipe of ingredients that we have in our life. I'll give you an example. I got divorced about eight years ago, and I remember um, thinking that I wanted to navigate my life by joy going towards joy as opposed to responding to anxiety, reacting to anxiety. So it's a, that's been my path and my, my seeking for, you know, well, my whole life. But I remember cog cognitively saying that then. And so now, you know, like with that practice to operate in curiosity, joy, and creativity as opposed to anxiety, worry, and oppression, which is so restrictive, like we can't even, we can't, it, we don't operate well in that space. It's not a space of where we solve problems. And somehow we've tricked ourselves into thinking that if we worry about things more or do things more in that horrible space, that it's going to change something. And it just doesn't, you know? So one of the things that I realized too, is to honor, there's information in that, in that worry, in that fear, there's information. It, it's not there for no reason. It's just how do we right size it so that we say, okay, oh, I notice you. You're obviously needing some attention, X, Y, Z, that's showing up, making me feel anxious. <laughs> um, can I go out for a walk in the trees and and let some of the, like the, I'm on the radio, so you can't see my hands going like, zzz, like that, that energy of ickiness that, that clouds us, you know? Can I get some of that icky energy off of me so I can really pay attention to what's showing up and what needs care you know what's what's afraid in me what's who's showing up that really isn't feeling seen <laughs> if that makes any sense at all it um, does what I'm hearing is that when you realize that fear is an important motion that gives you information mm -hmm. and that if you what I'm imagining is that if you slow down and you ask it questions what do you need? What are you trying to show me? Mm -hmm. And, and then what, what well, do you, what do you do next after you acknowledge it and you ask it what it is and what it's here for? Well, one of the big questions I've been asking of fear during the pandemic is what is its gift? And the gift of fear is courage, right? So, um, you know, we think of, I think of like, how, how do I show up as a warrior? And it's like, oh shit, I'm so scared. I need to bring up, fire up that courage, fire it up, fire it up, fire it up. Thank you, fear. Time to bring in courage. You know, this is that thing like add, add more ingredients of the courage now. Oh, and let's bring in joy. Okay. Something to be afraid of. This shit's scary. There's a lot of hard stuff out there. Let's bring up the courage and the joy. Let's go. You know, what does it look like when we're operating with courage and joy in the space of, what is scary, you know? I had this this clear image when I was I was having a prayer for, and it was something like, give me enough courage to be vulnerable. And I was like, yeah, that was a good one. And except in my brain, I was imagining courage and I holding hands, running off, and then courage letting me go to leap off the cliff to be vulnerable. And I was like, no, I don't want to go be vulnerable off the cliff. You know, <laughs> and I thought, I can bring courage with me. Give me the courage you know, to be strong and vulnerable, to hold my hand while I'm being vulnerable courage. I don't want you to just leave me at the cliff. You know, these are the little tricky things I do with my mind to reframe and relearn and, and reoperate, you know, some of my belief systems, I guess. Can so, you remember a time when you, when that wasn't the way? Oh yeah, always. <laughs> Except, except I, I actually made it, um, I'm a, uh, when I make, there've been times in my life when I've made uh, jewelry or small metal sculpture. And I think it was like, God, it was over 20 years ago. I made a piece called a metal for courage and fear. Cause you can't have courage without fear. I've always known that. Right. But these, but these, um, methods of retraining and reframing, i.e. like say learning and unlearning that conditioning thing again to get to get 
to connect with my own superpowers, with my ability to manage my own nervous system. Because really, you know, at the end of the day, we're this body, um, electromagnetic field, chemicals zoom around. Lots of people know all the words for them. I do not, but <laughs> you know, what are they there for? You know, we know that if we get, if we, you know, adrenaline, it, it makes us feel a certain way. Um, you know, things squirt around in our bodies that make us feel and do things, you know? And so it's like paying attention to that data, that information um, and calming it, like getting, I'm such a heady person, like practicing getting in my body. That's also part of like walking outside and dancing and hugging trees and feeling my, my being, you know? And if I feel anxious, like, where does that live in my, oh, that's in my right side. I wonder what that, you know, like just be getting curious instead of like giving story to everything, you know? Oh, that person, this person, they must have gone you know, in the front of our head in this horrible space that is so, it's not helpful. So it's like hot potato that and and just. Well, I'm, I'm hearing a practice in, in somatics, listening to the body. And when you were, when you were sort of in your excitement and I was feeling some chaos as you were talking there around, oh, and we get worried about what are they thinking and what are they saying and so-and-so and this and that. And that sounded to me like when I spin out of control because I make assumptions about what other people are thinking. I make assumptions about why somebody behaved a certain way. I'm making up a story. And I'm telling myself a story that is usually 99.9% .9 of the time, at least certainly in my past, I'm getting better. But the story I make up is the worst one. It's the one where I feel bad. It's the one that is the least generous about them. And w why? Why, mind? Why is that the thing that I assume and so how about we tell the story that actually makes us feel the best about ourselves? I mean, because we don't know what's true. Right. So if we don't know what's true, why don't we just <laughs> come up with the one that makes us feel the best and imagine that is the one that's real mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the one that makes the other person look good too. Like, right. The most generous thing about the other person. Right. Cause we don't know. Right. And I like, I like the, um, the generousness because the in and, and this is one of my struggles around language language is so hard with this stuff as we wrangle with it um and best and stuff like that those words start to throw me off a little bit i use them and i'm like best but what you know that I, anyway point is generous and 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 in service to the highest good you know, that's what I find gets me off the hook of, of me getting twisted up in my own ego around this stuff too, you know, because it's like, why am I doing that? Whatever I'm doing is in service to the highest good with deep humility to, um, to what, to, to whatever my, my reason for being is on this, on this earth to be in, in service to this beautiful mother of ours. You know? I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to be doing, but I know that while I'm here, um, it's to, I guess I believe, so So if, if the sense of best or feeling good is good for you is around being a, a, a clear field, a clear resonance um, to allow for the highest good to emerge in all of us, you know, in whatever way, in all beings. I believe that anything I can see in anybody else is a reflection of myself. You know, this is a teaching that goes to ancient teachings. Um, so, you know, it, it's trick. So anything I see, like anything I'm pointing the finger at, I have got to own it in myself, it, which is a really, it's hard, but it's also good because I get to control, like I get, well, control, there's another one of those words. I get to have influence on, on how this, oh, here's this lesson. Oh, that can't possibly be. I can't be responsible for this. This is just so terrible. You know, whatever it is. And then to, you know, I do a lot of energetic practice and and healing and meditation and stuff to to work on those we we love to call them shadows, you know, our shadow work when they show up. And um 
it's it's still really hard, but it makes things a lot more interesting as things show up in our life. When when at least for me, as I as I perceive it that way, because I'm it gives me an opportunity to heal myself. Oh, there that is again. And then I do a bunch of stuff to help me face it and hug it up, give it some tea, occasionally some cake. <laughs> and to say, hey, hey, shitty part of myself, inadequacy. That's one of my big ones. Snug up in here. Let's have some tea and cake. But we're going to join. We're going to invite other people to the tea party that are going to include resourcefulness and wisdom and and fun you know so you can be there inadequacy you get to you're part of it but we're gonna you know again like include different ingredients so that it's not it's not that one shadow that like gets to take over everything i mean to to your earlier point the way you're describing you know that part of your mind that just goes to whatever that place is yeah let's who else are we going to invite to the table to 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 balance that out because right inadequacy doesn't get to lead the party or the party sucks <laughs> as you share this wisdom that uh i've been introduced to this idea that what we see in others first has to live in us i'm reminded of the time when i was working at this uh, creative shop, one of the things I remembered saying as junior staff were coming on is that I claimed this statement that I had a low tolerance for incompetency. And it was one of my weaknesses as a manager. And so I'm, I'm wanting to use this new lens of what I see in others is also something I don't like in me. So like, what would that look like for me to workshop that? Like for any of my listeners who haven't sort of practiced this, uh, this modality of shadow work, what would you say to my 30 year old self? Perfectionism is a manifestation of fear. What are you afraid of in that? What are you afraid of that requires you to be so perfect, that requires the standard to be upheld and for you to have to hold that mantle? And how uh, hard, how much is that burden for you to hold? And what part of that can be eased within you to allow for, for the grace, you know, to still be, to still have competence. Like you want, like, what is at the core of wanting competence? What is, what is the, it's wanting uh, perhaps people to be comfortable. It's wanting to be able to express yourself and others. You know, there, there's, there's, you know, what, what are the reasons really behind the, the wanting competence or, you know, now the definition of it and the way we end good and bad and the binary piece of it and the, eh, 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 that's the that's the vibration that we do not want that's the one that not only you know that's the one that divides us it's the one that sets us apart from ourselves and it's the one that sets us up for terror in our own being for god help us if we are not competent like this is the standard that we are holding in for us and it better you know so um <laughs> One, to recognize that it's that it's fear-based, that it's not like I'm so great, I'm so confident, it's like this is fear. And to to give oneself grace and, and love towards recognizing that and kind of um, nurturing, nurturing that at the core. So with this, the, the, like your term, the mine the gold, mine and shine the gold, there's something very precious beneath that desire anything like i'm trying to hold this together i'm trying because because why what is the preciousness that we're trying to protect that we're trying so hard to to show up for you know um and that can be really it can be a very deep deep wound it can be our most intimate childhood self that's terrified you know whatever that Something that's come to me is that our best, the most powerful superpowers come from the most trauma. <laughs> like, 
And so it's like what we do to, to protect that trauma, to protect those fragments, to build up it. And it's not even just ours in this lifetime, it's our ancestors, you know, it goes way back and in our DNA. And, and so the most fragile, the most special things are the most protected by the most horrible things, you know? So it's like um, having the courage to, 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 um, to understand that, you know, to, to get at the, the core, the core love behind whatever it is that brings these urges. And then, and then, you know, the grace and forgive forgiveness practice is the key to all things, compassion and forgiveness practice. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for the things like the, the people that have abused us to ask for their forgiveness. It's a solvent, you know, it's all, it's, it's for us. It's not for them. Um, it's freeing. So shadow work is, I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of layers to it and things, but um, again, that's that, is that I call up courage as I go and play with fear, you know, um, but that one about perfectionism being fear-based was a gobsmacker for me. I was like, oh, what? I thought I was just being good. <laughs> I thought I was just being successful. I thought I was, what? I don't know. So fear on the other side of perfectionism is like, what would happen if you failed? And in there is a, is a scared there's there's something that's been made scary about failing. Yeah. So it creates an aversion to risk, to stretch, to try something new. Right. Yeah. And to start to ask oneself, like the, and this is that the another the deconditioning thing. Whose voice is that in my head? You know, you didn't come out of the womb <laughs> having some sense of you know competence or whatever the other thing too is like in in with language is like what do i want to upgrade to so I, I i do this work when when i come across like let's use the word judgment judgment feels more pointy it feels more ju you know, judgy you know and i was like okay but i don't there's something about judgment that i'm i'm getting something from that you know i i value my ability to judge things um I have a good, you know, so what is it that, what is it there's, but there's something icky about judgment that I don't like, that I don't want to be a judgmental person. It's getting in the way. So I thought, well, I want to maintain discernment. Discernment is the core of judgment without the fear, or the icky energy on it. So I'm going to trade out, you know, I'm going to pull away the, the fear part. I'm going to keep discernment, add some courage and joy to discernment. And then um, I still get to have the piece of that, that I, made an agreement to have a long time ago as a human, you know, to be a discerning person. And that that is really what the core of intuition is, is, is being discerning and acting on it and being able to, you know, not do something even though people think you should, or, you know, like, it's not easy. Judgment is kind of easier because you can be like, well, I'm not doing that because of this, that, and there, this, that, and the other, and whatever, you know, discernment is like, I don't feel good about this. I'm going to kind of go over here. I don't even know why exactly, but I'm going to listen to myself, um, which I, that's a new practice for me. It's harder. It's harder than being judgmental. What I like about your explanation of discernment um, in what you just shared there is that you you made it about you and not about them. That's what I heard. So in discernment, I heard there's something in my body that doesn't feel right. So I'm going to go over here and I don't know why. And isn't that awesome? Like, and make that okay. Versus judgment, which is, um, it's their fault. Uh, someone's making me feel a certain way. I don't like it. Like you're, so you're passing judgment that, that someone else's behavior is creating a reaction in you and it's their fault. So you're going to go away versus I don't feel great in my body. I don't know why I'm just going to go over here. You're not making it about them. You're making it about you. Yeah. You think that that's, is that, is that a key difference? Yeah, and I love I love how you frame that for sure because for me like I've always had problems with boundaries or like having boundaries and I think of boundaries as like this look like, oh, put this line in the sand by the time I find like I would I would you know I've stayed in certain relationships much longer than I needed to <laughs> like, 
because I had to be sure, be sure, sure, sure that it's as bad as I thought. You know, all the story. Heck, heck. Um, but as I, but I, as I've done this practice on myself, because, and they say, you know, heal yourself, you heal everything else. So if we take that to heart, then as I do, then I, you know, that's what I'm working on. And it does make a difference because it is more about them, my own navigation than trying to have some story out there, trying to control things that I have no control. All I can do is my breath, my being, here I am. And, you know, what is the narrative? What is the story? What is just the feeling? How do I, how do I get to just a calm, open heart? Then magically all the other stuff just kind of falls away. It's not even there to be, have a story about, you know, it's, it's really kind of lovely. I'm not saying I can do it all the time, but it's, but it's certainly part of my practice to just, you know, drop the hot potatoes and the stories and really just try to make, be in a more easeful place. And what were some of the harder things that you had to drop? The stories and the hot potatoes that you had to let go of, would you be willing to share? Yeah, well, they still, they still come around. Like I said, inad inadequacy is one of my big shadows. And, um, and I work, um, there's another system I really uh, work with a lot called the Gene Keys by uh, Richard Rudd. And it's a lot. You can look, there's, there's a website, genekeys.com, but it's, it's a contemplation. It's built on the I Ching. So it's a 64 hexagrams. And what I really like about it, um, you can do your hologenetic profile, which is based on your birth time and year and all that stuff. But he defines um, shadow and gift and city, S-I-D-D-H-I, -D -D like the exalt exalted state. And it's the first time where I, where I, sort of saw how shadow influences our gifts and then our exalted state. So when I talk about inadequacy, that's one of my gene key shadows. And it and it feeds the gift of resourcefulness, which which then the exalted state is wisdom. So and it goes back to this um David White, who's one of my favorite poets, and um you mentioned something earlier that that I was like, yeah, that's David White, but um now I'm not gonna remember what it was. But he talks about asking beautiful questions. And so maybe it had to do with that. But, um, and he also says this thing, when, when you are sincere, you may not know how to proceed when you are sincere. And it's like, when I read about inadequacy being the shadow that, that, that um, invites resourcefulness, it's having that humility of like, I don't know what to do next. I'm here, I'm sincere. I'm, I can't do it all myself. Why, why should I be able to? <laughs> like what kind of <laughs> the individualist ethic in American culture was one of my favorite classes in college, but yeah, that, you know, I should be able to do it myself, you know, I'm drunk, all this stuff. So all this to say inadequacy is a big one for me. And when it shows up it, you know, the other thing about the shadows is they have great superpowers. I was telling a friend of mine that depression is, is a, I used to define myself as a depressive. I do not anymore. I do not take antidepressants. I did for years. Um, I have moments of melancholy. I have energies of depression. I can feel it when it comes. I call it the lead cloak. And I know that when it's there, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in the lead cloak. It's superpowers are great. It's going to make me not believe in the practices that I do to make me feel better. It's going to tell me shitty things that, that make me feel like crap. I know what it feels like. I, I, I sense it now. I know it's energy and I can, I can acknowledge it and say, oh, depression, there you are. Okay, I better drink some more water. I got to do these things. I got to go outside. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to, you know. So the gene keys, you know, that's a whole batch of contemplation to discover and, and wonderful. It was the first time that I saw a, the sense of a shadow being a trigger for a gift for a city. So it was like, then I was thinking about it in, in terms of behavior modification of like, oh, if I get a zap of inadequacy, I feel what that feels like and it, and it boosts me into resourcefulness. You know, when I get a, a zap of stress, it, zoos, it, it zaps me into restraint which then allows me, I can't remember, I can never remember all the, all the things, but, but just the idea that the, and, and it goes back to what we were talking about with fear, that that initial zap gives us the information we need to let us know like, oh, I'm afraid I need to, I need to bump up my courage. Shunk. 
So it doesn't even like it, 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 it gives, it gives it enough honor, the shadow, it honors the shadow with great reverence <laughs> for it does its job very well. Right. I mean, I, I, I did a post on the Facebook, on the Facebook a while ago about, you know, really giving fear a big giant round of applause for doing such a good job and scaring the shit out of us in every form and flavor it possibly could and does, you know, this past year or whatever. And to say, now just chill, you get to rest. You get to rest fear. We're not gonna like, we're not gonna use you up. You know, you just chill. We're, we're gonna let some goodness and some joy come in and, and you know, replace you a little bit in our nervous systems. You know, we can feel if we do that. Cause you're, you know, you've worked so hard and you're so good at your job. <laughs> so you're giving it some praise and some love yes fear is so good at its job it's the best <laughs> it's so good at it i have to i have to admire it you you said that um stress zaps you into restraint and uh and i made up a story that that's about boundaries restraint like saying no so that you could have more spaciousness mm. yeah well first of all it's it's a gene key progression so the way that it talks about you know stress sort of being the um even not even just our own that generates within us but what we receive from the world the stress of the world that you know as, as empathic people you know we feel a lot it isn't even necessarily ours <clears throat> So yeah, I think, you know, boundaries or, or just a sense of like taking a deep breath and stepping back, like, oh, I'm in the middle of this fray. <sighs> this is a, a moment to pay attention to why, you know, as opposed to, again, you know, our common theme all day is like um, jumping into the story, jumping into more stress. Yeah, wait, here I am in this stress. Let me take a deep breath and, and rest. I mean, this was something we talked about. I told you my example of the upgrading from judgment to discernment. And um, I was, you know, I have all these, you know, I do ancestral practice and I, you know, I like to light fires and candles and herbs and all that fun stuff and all the ritual around all that, that stuff and rocks. And um, I found myself nattering about though, like, oh God. I didn't do the candle in time. I didn't feed the ancestors at the right time. I read this thing that I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. And I, you know, blah, all this stuff. And I was like, wait a second. This is not, this is not the vibration that I want to be operating under. This is not why I'm doing this work. This is not the right. I'm aware that this is not the right vibration, right? So I, I, I had a little conversation with my ancestors and I said, okay, ancestors, what am I, again, like, what am I trying to get out of this? What is the point, right? And I said, okay, my, my point is to be in relationship, to learn relationship with this expanded consciousness, my, the ancestor world, the spirits, whatever all this stuff means. I'm relatively new to this. It's like, what does this have to offer, you know, and how do I invite relationship with it? And, and that really it's about my devotion. So I said, ancestors, can I upgrade to devotion instead of whatever this like perfectionism is around lighting the perfect candles and doing I am devoted to being in relationship with you. And, and that's what I commit to. And they're, and they're like, of course, they're, sure, Amy, because <laughs> that's how it works. I don't even know. But the shift in my own self is one of those ones that, that, that went from feeling pokey and nattery to buttery and grounded. You know, which is what I'm hoping. I'm trying, I'm trying to cultivate the feeling good and feeling connected and being responsible. And I want to be a good ancestor. I want to be good ancestor to my to the future of this world and what does that look like i don't know that's beautiful amy that's so beautiful i loved it when you said soft and buttery and you turned it into a devotional practice that didn't have any it was lacking obligation it was lacking obligation to do something a certain way that basically what I'm hearing you say is there's no wrong way to connect with your ancestors except having the intention and the desire to do so. Right. So and being curious and open. Yes, being curious and open. 
in a meditation practice in the woods this past summer, I received a really strong vibration that I had never felt before with regards to something I've missed out on. And that is a connection to my own ancestors. Hmm. And it inspired me to want to have more reverence for them, more awe for who they are. And the message I specifically received was to, to sit at their feet in my humility and learn from them. And what was happening when my parents were born and what was happening when my grandparents were born? What was happening in the world? What were their, their cares and their worries and their joys and their delights? What did it feel like to be them? So powerful and, uh, you know, particularly as white people, which I believe you yes. are, you know, that I am. Um, connecting to our own lineages um, is really important. Our, you know, white as a construct too, you know, so our, our ancestry and, and, you know, owning both the, the harm that our ancestors caused and the joy and the, you know, all of it. And like, I'm, I, my, I'm very Northern European and, and very Irish. And I always kind of resisted that. I don't know why, you know, but I've been um, purposefully looking more closely at it and, and the origins, the ancient origins of the Irish are <laughs> star beings and, you know, the Tuatha de Danann, which I can't always say well, and even preceded the Druids and, and the, the cosmology and the tales are the same across the world in all cultures, you know? And so to get to that, to that, um, the original operating instructions for Mother Earth, like those live in us too. And it's not, you know, it's not to spiritually bypass, it's to very much own, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly that happened along with us. And I really, really like um, the teachings of Resma Menekin, uh, my grandmother's hands. And he talks about, you know, yeah, the thousands of years of trauma that we as, as European people endured and as witches and whatever, um, that we dragged that trauma up over here and, and bleed it all over black and brown bodies and indigenous folks. And okay, how do we heal that? Heal, 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 heal ourselves to be able to, to be in presence of, of the rest of the healing. Um, I take that, that is just profound for me. And I, I've had a, a series of I don't, I, you know, there's all the language, but, you know, I would say like some intense awakening download moments around my ancestry. And I had this really clear um, teaching December of two, two Decembers ago, where it was like, I, I was going back and both thanking my ancestors for what they went through to bring their gifts through to me, or as Mr. Rogers says in that, in his movie, what did our ancestors do, do to love us into existence? You know, even if we have like anger to our parents or our aunt, whatever, there's all kinds of that stuff, but they loved us into existence and whatever they did to carry the baton forward of whatever the gifts are, the superpowers that may be in a shit ton of sludge because they are, that's part and parcel for it. But there was something about receiving the gift and having the courage to release the sludge and to take the baton with gratitude and humility to be like, oh, you don't want me to take all this sludge with you? You've been lugging this along for 3,000 years, so I take the gift without the sludge? <laughs> oh, okay. How do we do that? You know, I don't know. This is these are the things that come to me, and I. Well, how do you how do you think? How do you think you take the gift without the sludge? Um, what does your wisdom tell you? Well, I'll give you an example. So I'm the granddaughter of a general, General McBride, and he was an asshole. So in my mind, I was like, okay, general equals asshole, and I don't want to be an asshole. So you know, how do I get the asshole part off of the part that I need, which is the being a good leader and an administrator and a zoom, 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 I want the, you know. Um, so I do like energetic clearing around that and meditation around it. And, and 
um, you know, kind of the, the clearing the way of the of the sludge around the gift of being a, a leader in some way. And I did something with so so. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to get into all this, but so there's my grandfather, the general, my father's a psychologist and a healer, a wounded healer type. And um, part of the problem with my concern of my grandfather is, was his integrity, whereas my father has tremendous integrity. So I can start to see the lines, even in my own, my own living lineage of where these shifts have been made. And then I do the work in myself to say, okay, so I want to, I call in the leadership of the general, I release the asshole, I call in, you know, what is, what does the general look like with compassion and care? Those are the ingredients I want to put into my mixture, so to speak, you know, um, and to, and to be aware, like the assholes in me too, must be, <laughs> you know, so don't, I don't want to act like that's not, you know, something to be aware of and, and to acknowledge. I've been, I've been working with my, my grandmother on my mother's side because she's uh she was real worrywart and kind of like judgy and stuff and but i'm like who was alice retz before that what is what is she like without that worry on her she was creative she went this and you know so it's like i don't i don't know if that's helpful but that's kind of how i i try to look at it like yeah like these are this, these are my experiences yeah you know so and, and that's and that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious about your experiences. In fact, like, how does Amy McBride share her gifts with the world? I think that one of my gifts is being able to see the gifts in others, and um, to call them forth. It's a technique, or it's something I've noticed that I get from my mother, and made a commitment to, like, stepping into even more actively a, a number of years ago, and it just keeps it just keeps um, growing that need. Um, but she would always just like let people know what beautiful thing was showing up or how lovely the day is or you know if this isn't nice i don't know what is and things like that i think she gets that from my grandfather howard also but i think that being able to call recognize and call forward other people's gifts um and and to and to invite it with with joy and care and um that's my most fun. That's what I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I like to do the most. And I, I, um, I don't know. I'm an artist apparently, which I knew, but I didn't know in the way that I know now in the sense of the, uh, just allowing the creative force to kind of come through and, and, and drive how I go with <laughs> like my, my witchy walks and whatnot. I'm a magician. You know, so what does that mean? It's it's managing the nervous system, um, you know, and and kind of like like I told you earlier, my my motto is liberate magic, and it it's uh, it really is a social justice thing. Like if, if if we're not all able to to allow our magic to emerge either through oppression or you know this art what we do to ourselves and what we experience in the world, then what are we missing out on? You know, it's like a kind of this greediness, not, not the bad greediness, but just like, I want the abundance of everyone's gifts to be able to shine, you know? Can people connect directly with you? Are you offering time, sessions? What does it look like for someone to get more Amy McBride in their life? Okay. <clears throat> All right, very Sherry. <laughs> no. I'm counting. I'm counting on you in this place to help me mine and shine my part that I'm that's still kind of rough up in there. Okay, because I don't have any. Like I'm just. I don't have a website yet, and I don't. I don't do you have to? That's what. Some, that's what I did. That was. That was me. That's still me. Mm -hmm. I don't have a website either. But do I show up for people? Yeah. Do I give them value? Do I share my magic with them? You bet. Do I hear stories about transformation and and thank you for seeing me? Yep. Is there a website you can go and book time with me and it tells you how much it costs? Nope. Do I feel bad about that? Like, yeah. I mean, talk about inadequacy. Like, who am I if I don't have a website that defines what my magic is so that somebody can interact with me? 
Like this is a real monkey on my back. Yeah. And yet I'm still who I am and you still who you are. Right. Well, I'm, 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 I just completed this psychic mastery training program through intuitive mind with the amazing Nancy Rebecca and Yvonne Kilcup and others who are incredible women and healers and psychic folk. Um, and so I'm, I'm trained to do healings and readings. Um, we use a mechanism of a, of a rose. It's an ancient mystery school technique um, to kind of look at how grounded people are, how connected they are with their spiritual energy of their sort of past life things, or, you know, just a variety of ways to, to connect with spirit. And I, I am starting to, to do readings and things for people in, in a professional manner. And so it could be anything from like a, like I'll look at all the seven layers of the chakra and kind of symbols. And it's just, it, it just would go on a journey together. And, um, kind of spirit to spirit and see what see what emerges and then if there are um, dense energies or stuck energies and I cl clear them you know energetically as well it can be very powerful and I'm, I'm really interested in in this I call it the witch reclamation project and and working with folks that feel a calling um, around their witchiness like what does that mean and I'm also, you know, interested in in working with people who do work with plant medicine and, and integration. Um, but I, you know, I have an Instagram handle, Liberate Magic, Liberate probably underscore Magic, and I just kind of mess around on there and do street magic and play. But really, I'm right now about play and and being present, and. Um, I think that that other stuff will emerge because I'm a healer, whether like you said, whether I have a website or not, and. Um, People show up at my doorstep. <laughs> it's kind people of show up on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah. People who are supposed to show up show up. Um, there's so the thing that I didn't talk about when I talk about like the projection of our um, ourselves on other people or how we can only recognize something in someone else if we see it in ourselves. In the training um, that I participate in. It, we call it matching pictures. So it's like, um, it's, and, and I do a lot of energetic work around this and, and did before we got on this call and will when we're done, because whatever it is that resonates between you and I are, are matching pictures. And there's, there's magnificence with that. And there's also stuck energy with that. So whatever, whatever stuff that you and I have around our own inadequacy or our own, bleh, you know, like it's probably ping-ponging between us of like, dun, 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 this, you know, like as much like all of the, all of the good stuff and all of the, whatever it's all, it's all there between us. So um, matching pictures, like blowing these roses is one of the techniques to, to dissipate that energy, to get to the clarity of, of the, but I think it was kind of like the open exchange of the, of the most beautiful exchange of, of whatever our relationship is or can be. And, and that's, you know, if one, if one prances about the earth, imagining that in relationship with every person, even the, the cashier at the 7-Eleven or something like, hello, this is another part of our soul. How do we, how do we clean that or clear that or free whatever that is that might be stuck in relationship with other people I, I think I just got very esoteric and strange but I'm not sure if that made sense at all or not well the lens that I can pour that through Amy is as I talk about in nearly every episode is my practice and authentic relating yes you know, and it's and it's the practice of being with like I too am you know in my level four certification program with this international organization to be a facilitator and a coach and do more of this work. And I'm also a practitioner and following the principles every day, being with what arises, noticing, following curiosity, welcoming everything that shows up, the good, the bad, the ugly. And the practicing of vulnerability is about revealing yourself. And so when I'm in connection with another be it the, the clerk at the grocery store um, or a, a close friend I haven't seen in six months. Like having that interest in their humanity yes. is, is consistent. Yes. And so that is part of 
the practice of how I'm trying to show up in regarding everyone who I interact with. Yes. In a, in a, in a, in a care and a quality of consciousness of, hi, like, I see you. I might not know you, but I'm here to see you. Yeah, showing up for people's humanity. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Being willing to receive it if they're, if people are willing to share. You know, I, I have noticed like, people go like, hey, you know, like, maybe, maybe people don't want to be seen <laughs> so much <laughs> too. I'm still remembering the comment that your son made about how you might show up in the world and his impression of it versus your reality of it. Right. And I really just applaud. I applaud your practicing in public. I've told you that I've quoted you in past episodes whenever I use that phrase. As my friend Amy McBride says, practice in public. Well, and then my son made me, so I, I wear these um, colorful ponchos and um, he, uh, Oliver's a, uh, an artist and a musician and he got this, I uh, got him this embroidery machine for Christmas and he's making these amazing designs and stuff. But he embroidered on the back of one of my ponchos practicing in public. So when I wear it out, like it's gonna be, I'm gonna have a whole witch wear, witch work wear costume thing going on. I can't wait for the photos, Amy. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, sharing your witchy magic, your love your heart. Thanks for giving me the space too. This is a really, really a gift. I really appreciate it. My listeners know I love shedding the light on people who are following the thread of aliveness in their life. Yes. And when I met you at Linda's property out in the Key Peninsula, and we shared campfire together and rituals, I, I was so stunned by the way that you had a relationship to the earth, to your ancestors, to spirit. And you offered us a prayer around the campfire that just left me weeping. It was so beautiful and deeply connected. And when we talked after, I felt like I could just talk to you for days. Like it, it, it illuminated so much for me. And I just really enjoyed the, the quality of the language that we shared and the stories and insights and questions. And I wondered what that would look like to, to bring you into this medium. <laughs> so thank you so much again for your time. I feel so honored. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. And, and I just want everyone to know we need your magic bring it out practice in public the earth needs us <laughs> you know the time is now so um if anybody takes anything away just uh please practice in public bring it out bring it out bring it out and thank you sherry for providing such a wonderful forum for people to continue to model and shine and show and show up because the earth needs it we need it as humans could you imagine the shift that is possible in your life if you believed what Amy believes that feeling good is good for you it amazes me how often I unconsciously choose the opposite by allowing my thoughts to get sidetracked you know, the ones that tell you the worst story about what's happening right now? I'm getting much better, but it's a practice. And I love this reminder. Feeling good is good for you. Yes. The other huge takeaway for me from this conversation is about the gift that fear brings. I loved the playful way that Amy talked about thanking fear for showing up. Thank you, fear. You're doing such a good job. Fear notifies me that something important is in front of me, and it's time to grab courage, bundle it up under my arm, 
and take that step forward. Let me know how it goes when you try it. Next week, I talk to Carrie Ockrey. And if that name sounds familiar, yes, she's a famous rock and roll queen from Seattle bands Hammerbox and Goodness. But she's coming on the show not to talk to me about her music career, but about the pivot she made to serve clients who are looking for a change in their lives. She leads creative empowerment workshops, and I suspect we're going to have a great time. I hope you tune in. Until then, keep mining and shining the gold within. Mm -hmm.